Hi, this is Elia Fishman. This is part two of small bowel and mesentery inflammatory disease. And what I'm going to do in this section is basically focus on three topics. Uh, small bowel and mesentery, as I mentioned, we could spend several days, but I'm going to look at three topics that are, I think are of interest. Now, remember in the last talk, I spoke about Crohn's disease a bit. I spoke about small bowel obstruction. And one of the things I always think about when I'm looking at small bowel is looking at the vessels because there are many things you can find. You talk about ischemic bowel, well then you're looking at the sagittal view because it may be the best view for looking at stenosis proximally of the celiac or SMA as well as for detecting clot more distally in the vessel or in detecting dissections. Another thing that we speak about that we are seeing more commonly these days is what's called SMA syndrome. And what that is basically is the SMA to aorta angle is narrowed. And so what happens is, and you can see in the schematic very nicely, that the patient's uh, left renal vein and the patient's duodenum are compressed. The compressed duodenum means you have proximal obstruction, often presenting as gastric outlet obstruction, and the compressed left renal vein can result in nutcracker syndrome with hematuria. Now, classically, the SMA syndrome was described in patients with total body casting, though we are seeing it more commonly now in patients with marked weight loss, and the one we think about is anorexia nervosa. Patients present at times with obstruction, and it's really um, due to the vessel, and that's why the patient has nausea and vomiting. So I'll show you some examples of that. Just some magic numbers. SMA angle to aorta is normally about 45 degrees, while in SMA syndrome, it's under 25 degrees. And typically, in my experience, it's even narrower than that, probably more in the 10-degree range. Also, the SMA to aorta distance, which is normally 10 to 20 millimeters, is under 10 millimeters, typically 2 to 8 millimeters. Now, a classic example is this. The patient has nausea and vomiting. Question gastric ulcer. Question cause for gastric outlet obstruction. Question possible pancreatitis. The stomach is distended, and there's food in the stomach. And you follow it down, and now you see the duodenum is also distended. And you also then look and say, boy, that SMA angle, or the SMA distance, rather, to aorta seems narrowed, as does the left renal vein. When you look at another view a bit further down, now you see the duodenum is obstructed as it crosses between the aorta and SMA. That's classic SMA syndrome. When you put it in coronal view, you especially see it nicely. And if I just target those images, look how nicely you can see the transition point on both those images. And that's really classic SMA syndrome. Now, in my experience, we do not uncommonly see patients occasionally with a narrowed SMA angle. But just having a narrow angle does not mean you have SMA syndrome. You need to have a narrow angle to get SMA syndrome. But for me to call SMA syndrome on a CT scan, I need to see duodenal obstruction. And so if I see a narrow angle, I'll describe it. But then I will say patients with SMA obstruction also have duodenal involvement. If the duodenum is not obstructed, to me, it's not SMA syndrome. And here's another couple images of that patient coronally. And look at the sagittal view. That's impressive. Look how little the distance is. Look how sharp the angle is. And look at both the duodenum and left renal vein, how they're compressed. Another case, again, similar things, rule out obstruction, stomach's distended, duodenum's distended. When you look at the 3D map, you see the duodenum, the third and fourth portion, 
up to the SMA, you see a very nice transition point by the patient's SMA, and you see the SMA angle is decreased, and I could show you that a little bit better on these 3D images. So sagittal views are very critical for many things. I've, we've discussed that, but with SMA syndrome, it really is indeed critical. And one more example, look at the duodenum, how it's dilated up to the region of the SMA. The angle between the SMA and the aorta is narrowed, not as bad as the last case, but it's narrowed. And you see the left renal vein is compressed, and here's a few more views sagittally. And here's a few more views coronally, and very nicely you can see the transition point between the dilated duodenum around the fourth portion as it goes up to the SMA. A very important diagnosis. Again, I do not suggest SMA syndrome unless I see duodenal obstruction. Only seeing a narrowed vessel could just be a patient who's lost weight, not uncommon in oncology patients, and it may not be symptomatic, or it's typically not symptomatic if you don't have the dilated duodenum. Okay, as long as I'm talking about the vessels and we're talking about a small bowel, let's talk about ischemia. Ischemia can be due to arterial disease, which is what we typically think about, or venous disease. Arterial disease most common due to atherosclerosis, but can be due to emboli, can be due to trauma. Venous disease is most commonly venous thrombosis, but can be a sequela of portal hypertension and occasionally estrogen use. Well, what are we looking for? Well, we think about this kind of in order. First, we think about bowel dilatation. Then you begin to get wall thickening. The mesenteric veins might be dilated, and there may be inflammation in the mesenteric fat. Then it progresses, and you see intramural gas or potentially portal venous or mesenteric venous graft. When you see the gas in the wall of the bowel or in the vessels, that patient has infarcted bowel. It's no longer simply ischemia, which potentially might be managed less aggressively. Once you see infarction, you've kind of crossed the line. High morbidity, high mortality. Number one cause, atherosclerotic disease, older population. Here's an example of plaque and stenosis in the SMA. And here's just a regular patient with that. You can see atherosclerotic disease in the aorta. You can see plaque in the SMA, both calcified and non-calcified, plaque in the celiac. You can see the dominant aortic aneurysm. It all kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, very nicely showing you some narrowing, but there's no critical stenosis. On the other hand, look at this patient. Now, I gave you a really good slice position to show it, but look how the SMA is occluded. Goes, occlusion comes back into the aorta, and here's a sagittal view, a very nice orientation of the thrombus in the SMA as well as in the aorta, and here it is on 3D imaging. And I showed this case to make the point that you really need to look at the sagittals and the 3Ds. If you don't look at the sagittals, you will miss many cases of SMA thrombosis, particularly when it's not occlusive. Another example, here again, I've chosen the perfect plane. You can see the thrombus in the proximal SMA and a little bit more distally. And here it is in the sagittal view, which really shows you nicely that the patient still has blood flow in the SMA, but you have extensive thrombus narrowing and more distally, you can see flow and then you see clot. And here it is again, just very nice examples of the very distal thrombus in the vessel, but proximal disease as well, then some patency. 
So it really is a challenge in managing these patients, as you can see from this example. Now, the other thing I look at when I look at the vessels is their size. When the vessels look like little thin threads, like in this case, you got to be thinking about a slow or low flow state, and that predisposes to ischemia. So when I see vessels looking like this, I'm going to say vessels are really small. I'm worrying about a decreased flow to the bowel. I'm worrying about the patient developing ischemia. Now, the sagittal view shows us nicely here, but it's so important across the spectrum. An example, patient, roulette ischemic bowel. The bowel here looks dilated. It looks a bit dusty. It doesn't seem to be enhancing very well, and perhaps there's pneumatosis. When you look at the sagittal view, this was originally read as negative on the vessels. What you see in this patient, there's minimal plaque in the aorta that's calcified, but look at the celiac, it looks perfect, and look at the SMA proximally for several centimeters. It looks perfect as well. Then you see thrombus. So here's an example of thrombus of the SMA, but the patient does not have any true plaque in the vessel. And if you were looking quickly at the vessel, you would say it looks good. It's only further down that you appreciate the thrombus, and that's where sagittal works so well. And here's that same patient a week later. They went in, removed the thrombus, and now you see perfect flow and just a really good visualization of that patient's vessel. Another patient, again, look at the proximal SMA. It's pristine. You see it for several centimeters. Looks great. Then you see thrombosis of the SMA. You see changes of ischemia in the transverse colon. You look a little bit further in this patient. Look at the occlusion on the volume rendering of the patient's SMA, and look at the extent of clot in the SMA, and then you see some reconstitution of flow distally. I've seen a few legal cases where this is what happens and the ischemia is missed early. You look at a case like this where you say, hey, the SMA looks pretty good, but only when you go further down the SMA distally do you see the thrombus in the vessel, and in fact, the vessel is occluded. It's very easy to walk by. There's no inflammation nearby. There's no dilated bowel. When you look at the sagittals, look how obvious it becomes. Beautiful SMA, proximally, mid-portion, and then you can see occlusion of the patient's SMA. Very nice example, but so easy to see on the sagittal, so difficult to see on the routine axial images. Another patient, abdominal pain. Here we did the non-contrast. The original thought was renal disease. Well, now you look at the patient's uh, celiac here. It looks enlarged. And when you watch it more carefully, look at the dissection in the vessel. And when you follow it down, there's uh, dissection. Uh, there's also dissection in the patient's SMA. Look at the SMA in this case. Dissection proximally going down the mid-vessel. And then as you follow the vessel downward, there are multiple areas of beating. We typically will think about vasculitis. We talk about different diseases like SAM, medial lysis. But we are seeing a number of patients now with this type of appearance. We always think about a vasculitis. It could be a collagen vascular disease, but look how irregular the vessels are. Now, if you only see SMA or celiac dissection, then this entity of SAM, a splenic arterial medial lysis is considered. Article by Jung talking about management of these patients. 
intimal flap, thrombos, false lumen, and aneurysm dilatation are the most common findings in splenic artery dissection. That spontaneous conservative management without anticoagulation has good outcome, except in patients with bowel ischemia. Aneurysm dilatation three times larger than a normal segment or progression of disease. It's hard to not treat, obviously, but at least it's something you need to consider. Although surgery should be considered first in the presence of findings of infarction, conservative management without anticoagulant therapy has good outcomes in the care of patients with no bowel ischemia, rupture, or risk, but just dissection of the vessel. So it's a little controversy there. The last thing I'll mention is something we see more of now, in part because we're seeing much more vascular surgeries performed, and we're seeing patients live longer, and that's aortoenteric fistula. It's a potentially life-threatening disorder with a mortality approaching 100%. can be primary or secondary. Most commonly, it's secondary. We have a fistula to the aorta secondary to surgery in the aorta, and the communication is to bowel. Classic triad abdominal pain, massive GI bleeding, and a pulsatile abdominal mass. The CT findings are air within the aortic lumen or adjacent to the aorta. You can see some air in the immediately post-op period, but it gets absorbed. If it's there more than 10 days, you better be worrying. Direct contrast extravasation from aorta to bowel or vice versa. Effacement of bowel between the aorta and adjacent bowel. Focal bowel wall thickening adjacent to the aorta or periaortic soft tissue thickening and fluid. And just to show you some examples, beautiful case of a large or enlarging aneurysm. You see the stents present. You see, particularly in the sagittal view, the patient's endoleak. You see air in this collection as well. That was a aortoenteric fistula. Here's another example of a patient. Uh, you can see the patient has a graft in place. You can see there's some air around the graft. You can see it a little better here. And this patient had an aortoenteric fistula. They're not uncommon, but they have a high morbidity and mortality. We can see all sorts of fistulas with inflammatory bowel disease to vessels, as in this case, we spoke about to bladder, we talk about to bowel, we talk about to muscle. So we can see all of them. So concluding then, CT is a study of choice in many cases of suspected small bowel pathology. When used correctly, plays a major role in patient management and triage, and challenges are often related less to optimal technique in a standard dedicated study, then we're going to do it perfectly, but in a non-gated study or non-dedicated study, that is. So in non-dedicated studies, you might be doing three by threes or five by fives. You don't worry about timing. You were looking for a rule out anything, or maybe pancreatitis, or maybe appendicitis. So you need to be very careful when you do these studies. You have to do them right the first time because you're going to have to go back. And doing them right will, in the long run, decrease patients' dose. So with that, I'll stop there and thank everybody for their attention. If you have any questions, ask me, ask the fish at CTSS. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Bye.